Neath the load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same He touched me Oh, He touched me He touched me And oh, the joy that floods my soul Something happened And now I know He touched me and made me I met this blessed Savior Since He cleansed and made me whole I will never cease to praise Him I'll shout it while eternity rolls He touched me Oh, He touched me, He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. He touched me. Touched me, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me As we travel this earth-shifting sense That transcend all the reason of man But the things that matter the most in this world They can never be held in our hand I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe that the Christ who was slain on that cross has the power to change lives today. For he changed me completely, a new life is mine. 
that is why by the cross I will stay. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe that this life with its great mysteries surely someday will come to an end. But faith will conquer the darkness and death and will lead me at last to my friend. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. Tremendous message there, isn't there? It's good stuff there, that old rugged cross. We're certainly grateful and thankful for it, for the one who hung on it. Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10, again, what a pleasure it is to see you here Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We certainly enjoy the, the singing and the fellowship and everything that goes on. But we most importantly appreciate and enjoy the Word of God. Let's face it, if it wouldn't be for His Word, we'd have nothing and we'd be nothing. And we'd have no reason to gather today except to be just a simple social event. And to be quite frank with you, I'd rather have some chicken wings and watch a football game if it wasn't for God. I'll be honest with you, I really would. I mean, I, I, I think you're all great, but, you know, the NFL is pretty good, too. But anyway, I, I, I'm glad that I have a reason to be here today, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that trumps everything else, and, then, and I know you made that decision to be here today, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 today. Of course, it's neighbor day, so this passage is, I mean, right spot on. I mean, I don't know if I could have preached from any other passage that would have said that more or better than this one. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 today. We're going to read through verse 37, and it won't take too awfully long, but let's go ahead and read that together, you silently, me aloud. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? The answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor is thyself. 
And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's interesting, isn't it? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And this is, of course, one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. We have heard of the Good Samaritan more than likely. You've probably heard that. He stands as a symbol of compassion and civility toward one's fellow man. His example has served as a model of Christian love and service through the ages. There's little doubt that we'd all do well to embrace his spirit, to, I guess, embrace his service, to follow in his footsteps, if you will. Still as important, as, in, as impactful as this account is in our lives, in a practical sense, its meaning has even greater spiritual implications than maybe we would imagine today. As we consider the passage this morning, we're going to note that its meaning reaches far beyond this world and reaches on into the next world. It paints a picture of God's glorious salvation for mankind. And so today we want to do that. As we read the Gospels, of course, we're well aware and quickly understand that there were many who were not pleased with Christ's coming. They weren't real thrilled with Jesus showing on, up on the scene. And there were those that didn't just disagree with Him. There were those that literally just, even though they didn't believe and even though they disagreed, they, they took it another step. They attacked Him. And this is the case here today. In this particular passage, we're going to find that there is a lawyer that is now going to seek to attack the Lord Jesus Christ, to discredit Jesus Christ. And although this is a, a man of God in his day, <clears throat> a lawyer of the law of Moses, he's going to take the time now and make it his life's work to, to destroy this particular Christ who has come, Jesus This particular attack, again, is done by a lawyer. And he basically, the Bible says, tempted him. Immensely, he tries to put Jesus to the test. He says, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The question, again, was asked by an expert of the law. I mean, this guy right here is... is 
not just your run-of-the-mill church member even. He's a doctor of the law. I mean, he's been to classes in schools, rabbinical schools. He's Turn me down a little bit, would you? He's taking care of all of these things. He's seeking to somehow uh, he, to learn the Bible in a way that maybe goes beyond the norm. And now here he is, a, a lawyer of the law, one that knows it in and out, up and down. So when Jesus talks to him and, and, and he's going to respond to this particular question, this man is a man that has some, I guess, credentials. He's supposed to know the Bible. And may I say, he does know the Bible. What should, shall I do to inherit eternal life, he asks. Well, Jesus throws the man's question right back at him. And he says, what is written in the law? How readest thou? You're the expert. You, you know the Bible. You've studied it your whole life. What does the Bible say? You tell me what it says. And Jesus is saying, you know what? If something has to be done to acquire eternal life, then surely the law is the place to go, and you being a lawyer of the law, know the answer. <laughs> the lawyer, he tosses two key passages back at the Lord then. He says... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and, and thy neighbor as thyself. Those passages are found in Leviticus, and they're found in Deuteronomy. He definitely knew the law, and he used the law to answer the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, upon hearing that particular response, gives the man his due back, if you will. This do, he says, and thou shalt live. Well, that's an interesting thing. This do, and thou shalt live. What he says to this man then is, you're right. You've got the answer. You hit the nail on the head. You know, that's what the Bible says. Now go do it. And what we have here then, if we boil it all down to where the rubber meets the road, is we have the gospel of good works. The theology of a man who would say, I'm doing the best I can. Okay. The Lord quoted the law. He called it right out of the book. If only he could fulfill the law, he would indeed gain eternal life. If only he could love his neighbor as himself. If only he could love the Lord thy God with all his heart and all his soul. But the fact is today is that no one except the Lord Jesus Christ has ever loved God with all his heart, with all his mind, his soul and his strength. No one's ever loved Jesus uh, uh, like, no one's ever loved their neighbor like Jesus loves their neighbor as themselves. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody could ever do that. We are human. We are fallible. We are sinners. And it doesn't happen. Sure, if the man could keep the law, sure, if he could fulfill the law as he stated it and as he read it from the Word of God, he could indeed inherit. However, the problem is, he can't keep it. Who can? Who can keep the law? When we think about those Ten Commandments and we think about the law of Moses and the, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch that's called, and we recognize and realize that there's no way in the world that we could live up to that standard, that we could measure up to it. And in this case, the lawyer says, what must I do? 
to inherit eternal life. He says, no, you tell me. You're the lawyer. You know the law. And he says, well, the law says. And he goes on to tell him, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbors thyself. Two tremendous passages and two truthful passages. According to Romans chapter 3, the law isn't in place to give us eternal life or grant us eternal life. The lawyer, he says, well, the law says if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then I will inherit eternal life. And you know, biblically and scripturally, the law's there. Yes, if you could keep the law, then you'd have to be perfect because only perfect people can keep a perfect law. But the Bible tells us why the law was really instituted, why it was given to us. In the book of Romans chapter 3, we read in verse 19 and 20, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What it's saying basically then is that the law reveals our dreaded sinfulness and clearly confirms our inability to find grace in the eyes of God. Through human effort, we cannot fulfill God's righteous demand. The fact is is that God put the law in place to remind us and to ensure that we understand I am unable to earn or make heaven on my own. That's what the law is about. It's confirming the fact that we fall short of God's standard. The law says, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, and you're going to do, 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 do this. And we go, we can't. Every time I try, I mess up. Every time I give it my best, I fail. Every time I go forward, I take two steps back. I just, it just seems like every time I turn around, I'm a miserable failure at keeping God's law. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to now try to describe and help this lawyer to understand through this parable that we now read about. Because really, there's much more to this than just be kind to your neighbor. There's more to this than just be, be considerate of his or her needs. There's more to this than just what we do with it today and what we do in our neighborhood and with those around us, our family and friends. No, there's an eternal aspect to this that the Lord is really trying to emphasize to a man who believes somehow that by keeping the law, the commands of Christ in the Old Testament, he can somehow earn a way to heaven. And the Lord's going to say, no, 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 no. As much as it's true you could, you can't. And so he goes on now to share this parable. And we find the parable here in Luke chapter 10. And verse 33. No, excuse me, verse 30. And he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. We're going to find then that this particular story, 
parable that the Lord shares is really going to help us have insight into this aspect of eternal life. And so I want to take just a few minutes as we look at it. We're going to see here that the story is first a story of ruin. Then it is a story of rejection. And finally, it is a story of redemption. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll consider that over the next couple of minutes. Father, we love you. We need you. I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would pour himself upon this place and in our hearts and lives. Lord, walk up and down these aisles and bring conviction to every heart. Lord, may we recognize and see our great need as human beings to fall completely, helplessly, hopelessly upon the ground before the cross, surrendering and submitting our will to yours and allowing you, Father, to be our God, our Lord, our Savior, realizing we can never do it ourselves. Bless us now, Lord. And Father, may you redeem the fallen soul. And Father, may you restore the wayward one. May you just, Father, work in our hearts this morning, we pray. We give this service over to you. Take control in Christ's name. Amen. So first, it's a story of ruin. It's a story of ruin. It says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now I want you to understand and note something from the passage. I want you to see this. It says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He went down. The Bible says he went down. Now that's interesting because... On a map, if you would look at Jericho and you'd look at Jerusalem, you'd find Jerusalem down here. You'd find Jericho here. Now, that's not down. That's northeast, is it not? That means you actually have to go up to get to Jericho. But the passage says that the traveler, this man went down. He went down. From Jerusalem to Jericho, he went down. Well, obviously, there's something God's trying to teach us. I don't think he messed up in that particular case. I mean, that's a pretty simple one. All, he'd had to, all God would have had to do is look at a map, right? And he could have said, no, well, wait a second. Uh, excuse me. Uh, I, I, oh, I messed up. I really messed up on that one. No, he didn't mess up. He meant to do that because he wants us to see that there's something going on here. The fact is, is that when we look at the passage today, and when we consider uh, this idea that we're, we're noting here, that Jerusalem is the city of God. However, Jericho, on the other hand, from the Old Testament, is a cursed city. You remember Jericho in the Old Testament. We know there were things that took place. Joshua 6.26, and Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city Jericho. Jericho was destroyed, and now don't you even rebuild it again. It's a cursed city. The fact is, is that Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is the place where you can meet with God. But over there in Jericho, cursed city. And wait a second, this traveler, he, the Bible says, goes down to Jericho. You want to know why he's going down instead of up where it really seems geographically to be? Because anytime you leave the city of God to go to a cursed city or down to this earth, which is wicked, sinful, and, and it, it is always a downward motion. It's always going, spiraling down from God. And God's trying to point out again, there's more to this story than meets the eye. There's more to this going on than just the physical, the, the practical. We actually have a spiritual impl- implication and a spiritual application that we can note. And the fact is the traveler represents somebody. The traveler represents you and me as we have fallen out of the grace of God because of our sinful state. 
So what we have here is a picture of fallen man. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, turn if you would there if you have a Bible, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, if that's the case, we're all in good company. We're all in this boat together, aren't we? There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Someone says, well, I sought after the Lord. Not before He sought after you. They're all going out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. Watch this. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Someone says, I, I, listen, I have a grandma. She is the best person I've ever met in my life. She is so good. You know what? My mom's a good person too from the world standpoint. But when we look at things from a spiritual standpoint and we compare ourselves to God himself in heaven who is perfect, holy, righteous, and without sin, man, let me tell you something. Everything and anything I could ever do is certainly miserably falling short. <laughs> it just ain't happening. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, let's just be honest with ourselves today. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. You want to know why? Because it's in their nature to do wrong. It's in my nature to do wrong. And by the way, it's in your nature to do wrong. Nobody ever had to teach us to do that. Why? Because that Adamic nature, from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, you and I both were born into sin, and we are going to live in our sin. We will die in our sin if we don't do something about that. Or in reality, let the Lord do something about it. So what we have here is a picture of fallen man. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 64, 6, the Bible says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's he say? Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that, that is amazing to me. He's saying human beings are sinners and as sinners the very best we have to offer God is likened to filthy shop towels. I've worked a few times in a shop. Now, I'm not a big, hands-on kind of guy. I would rather you fix my car than me. I'd rather you fix my house than me. I'm not good with that. I didn't grow up learning how to do those things. But yet I've learned a few things along the way, and I've had to get my hands dirty a few times along the way. But let me tell you something. I've used those shop towels before. I remember when I was taking welding classes years ago in an adult vocational course down in the city of Akron, and there I was learning how to weld. Come and ask me to weld for you. I'll be glad to give it a shot, but I'm not going to be responsible for the outcome. But nonetheless, I, I can still remember we had those towels that we would use, and we'd wipe the metal off, and we'd wipe this off, and wipe that off. And every once in a while, I'd pick something up to wipe my hands off and realize it was the very thing I just wiped something else off with, and I'd get stuff all over my hands. It didn't help a lick. It was a filthy rag. And that filthy rag only just, just kind of permeated my hands with that filth on it. And you know what? When I have my best works, the righteousnesses that I have, the very best I can offer God is like one of those shop towels that I held on to that had already been used was dirty and filthy. And I'm trying to wash my, my hands with it, wipe them off, and I'm only making them dirtier in the end. Guess what? That's what our righteousnesses are like to God who's perfect and holy. The very best we have to offer is tainted with our atomic nature, our sin. And so this is first a story of ruin. I mean, he goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And it's interesting, too, that he had nothing but trouble. 
Let me tell you, sin brings nothing but trouble in our lives. You know, it looks fun for a while, and it seems like it would be a, a wonderful thing. And, boy, I tell you, it's exciting. And, boy, spontaneity is wonderful. But let me tell you something. When sin hath conceived, it bringeth forth death. Uh, sin, uh, when, when, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. Listen, it ultimately runs its course. Satan's wonderful about giving us the best first. He saves the worst for last. God often says, I'm saving the best for last. You're going to have to commit this. You're going to have to surrender this. You're going to have to give that. You're going to have to walk this way. And we go, that's so terrible. That's horrible. I want my freedom. God says, yeah, but the best is yet to come. The best is ahead of you. The best is in the future. I'm saving something great for you, but you first must yield here now. The devil says, no, don't you yield. I'll give you everything you want now. The problem is, payday's coming. So it's a story of ruin. But also, it's, it's, it's moreover a story of rejection. It's a story of rejection. See, this man had no one to help him, didn't he? Here he was, he went down there and some thieves stole his money, stripped his clothes, left him half dead. There he was, beaten, battered, and bruised. He had no one for him there. He couldn't help himself, that's for sure. He may have expected some help from those two fellows that came by earlier. And yet they did nothing to help this helpless victim. Nothing at all. I mean, both of the men who showed up at this man's great point of need represented something in the passage. Is we're going to see one's a priest. We're going to see one's a Levite. Both religious men. And they represent organized religion. The man who was in such desperate need realized that he could do nothing for himself and everything and anything that could be done would have to be done by somebody else. But along comes a priest. A priest of the law. A godly man, at least from the standpoint of the world, looking at religiosity. Undoubtedly the priest could help him. Undoubtedly, the priest would help him. I mean, he's a man of God. <laughs> but the priest saw him. Oh. Oh. And he leaves. He views him. He sees his need. He recognizes that he is helpless and hopeless and that he must have help. But no, not him. He's not going to get his hands dirty. Oh, not him. He can't help, nor will he help. So he takes off and he leaves. What would his other brethren think? May I say so much for the priest, the man who stood for the rituals of the law. And there are many of those rituals, by the way, in the law. You go back to that Old Testament, you'll find all kinds of rituals in which we see to be kept, that are to be maintained. I'm not saying that they're not needed, but remember what the purpose of the law is again. To help us understand we can't keep it, and that we're going to need something or someone else. And in this case, this priest represents those rituals that are found in the law, and he's well-versed in the law. It's sacrifices, it's, it's feast days, it's fast days, in circumcision and in the Sabbath. He knows all about those things, 
But a lot of help the priest was to this wayward man, this broken man, this half-dead man. See, the rites of religion, however rooted in truth and tradition they may be, cannot help a lost soul. It does not work. Think about it. What good would it have done if Jesus would have told the dying thief on the cross, you must be baptized? Would he have ever been in paradise? Never. But he didn't say that. It wasn't a rite or a ritual that he needed. It was a person, Jesus Christ. Then came a Levite. A man just like the priest, obviously. He's consecrated on behalf of God as well. Consecrated to God. Separated unto service unto the Lord. It's likely that the lawyer had been a Levite. The very one who challenged the Lord Jesus Christ was more than likely a Levite. The Levite's great duty was to preserve the law of God and to keep it from being diluted. To protect it from attack. To see that its requirements were kept. That its precepts were properly administered and that it passed on intact to the next generation. That's what the, 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 the job of this particular Levite was. In short, the Levite was concerned about the rules of religion. The rules. You've got to keep the rules. You've got to keep the rules. You've got to keep the rules. Keep the rules. My job is to make sure you keep the rules. What good would it have done to tell this poor broken down man to recite the Ten Commandments? What good would it have been to say, oh, by the way, I'll tell you what, just cite the two that I did to Jesus. He couldn't have done it. It would have been impossible. It would have been useless. He didn't need somebody to come and tell him what he needed to do. He needed somebody to do something for him. Between them, the priest and the Levite demonstrated the failure of God's rules and organized religion to save us. There's no way that God's rules, if you will, the Word of God, the rules that are listed, the, the rights and the regulations that are expressed, those things cannot save. He now turns to the lawyers and, 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 and uh, he, he draws the attention to the true Savior now. He, he, he draws his attention to the Samaritan, who, who the Jews hated, by the way. The Jews hated the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans were a people born out of the Assyrian captivity. And the Assyrians captured Israel. They, they came in and occupied their land. They came in and took away their men, their women, and others, and took them off to Assyria. They did that in 721 B.C. That means 700 years before this event, 750 years before this event, we have this taking place. And now there is an entire race of people called the Samaritans that are born out of the relationship between the Assyrians and the Israelites or the Jew. And now there's a mixed race called Samaritan. That's what's taking place. So what we have here is a racial dispute. We have the Jews on one hand who hate the Samaritans because in their eyes they went ahead and assimilated to a pagan culture and they... They, they themselves may have been carried off to Babylon, but we have maintained our particular status. We're still God's people. 
So they're very upset with the Samaritans. They hate the Samaritans. This man, this Levite, despised Samaritans. It now becomes a story of redemption. Luke 10.33, but a certain Samaritan. It's interesting Jesus uses a despised race of people to ultimately be the one to rescue and save a wayward soul. Isn't that interesting? But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. Notice the Samaritan came where he was. There's a song that we sing or that I've heard sung before. It goes like this. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. He came to me. And he came to this, this Samaritan came to this man. He came where he was. And when he saw him, the Bible says he had compassion on him. You know, that's what Jesus did for you and I. He left those ivory palaces. He left those streets of gold. He left that comfort of heaven. And he came to this sin-sick world to travel the dusty trails of Galilee to ultimately lay down his life. Shed his precious blood on a tree called Calvary. And there he would be buried and rise again the third day, just like the Bible says. All of this points to Christ. And the inn in which the man takes him to points to the church. That once a man meets the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she is to be cared for and maintained and helped in the house of God. And then the two pence that he gives in his absence to care for the man is representing the time in which this particular traveler will be gone until he returns again. And may I say that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He saves a soul, He expects that soul to be placed into the house of God, the, the body of Christ, where He can be nurtured and cared for and helped until the day that Christ Himself returns and settles all debts. The Lord wasn't through with the lawyer as we end the story. He says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? <laughs> The Lord says, he that showed mercy on him. Now that sounds, that's a great answer and it's true, isn't it? He that showed mercy on him. But do you notice something that he left out? Something that if, if you and I were hearing this story and were asked that same question, I think the majority of us, I don't, I don't think the majority of us, a majority of us would have said, he that had showed mercy. I think we'd have just said, the Samaritan. The Samaritan. But notice the Levite wouldn't say Samaritan. 
He despised Samaritans. Trying to prove himself to be righteous, he had asked the question to begin with, who's my neighbor? Okay, I'm going to go out here and do as the Word of God says and follow the law, but then again, on the other hand, who's my neighbor? There's got to be an out, obviously, because I know I can't keep it. I know I'll be proved to be a, a, a failure. Who's my neighbor? And when it all comes down to it, he says, you tell me who the neighbor is. And he says, he that showed mercy upon him. That's true. He did show mercy on him, but he didn't say Samaritan. You want to know why? Because he despised Samaritans. And may I say the Samaritan represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I tell you this, that when a man or a woman is on their, down on their luck and they're in their sin and they're wallowing in their misery in this sin-sick world, many times we're unable to admit the one person that can make the difference. It's not going to be the rights of the law. It's not going to be the ritual of the law. It's not going to be something that we can do. It's going to be one person, and his name is Jesus Christ, but he is a disciple despised man in our world. But until we come to the place where we recognize and realize He alone can wash our sin away, He alone can forgive our sin, He alone can give us a lease on eternal life, that He alone is responsible for the salvation of all mankind, and if we're going to get saved and be in heaven, it is Him and Him alone we must trust, receive, and accept. Until we do that, we will forever waller around helplessly in our sin and we will forever be hopeless and helpless in this world. Jesus Christ is still the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You want to live today, friend. You need Christ. Christ alone. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And Romans 4, 5, He says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as this traveler could do nothing for himself in his pitiful condition, you nor I can do anything about our desperate and sinful state in and of ourselves. There is no hope for the wounded or the weary but Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. There's no escape from the insidious clutches of Satan except Christ. There's no scenario that lands a soul in the presence of a perfect, sinless, and righteous God in heaven except through Christ who sacrificed His lifeblood on Calvary. That is the only solution. And that solution is a person, Jesus Christ. What it all comes down to is this. Will you depend on what you can do to eventually get to heaven? Or will you depend on what Christ has done? That is the difference between heaven and hell today. Man, women, boys and girls, we make choices. Will we continue to try and do what we need to do to get to heaven, realizing we can never do enough Or will we just simply rest on what He's done? That shed blood on Calvary. That broken body. That 
perfect sacrifice by one name, Jesus. A despised name, but a wonderful Savior. He came to me. You know He came to you today. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Are you still bound by your sin? Still hopeless and helplessly half dead today? Alive physically, but spiritually dead. The only way that you can be made alive today, spiritually, is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to where He was, He came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Will you let him come to you today and rescue you just like the Samaritan did, that weary traveler, that broken traveler? It's your decision today. Will you trust in what you can do? Or will you depend on what Christ has done? In just a moment, we're going to have what we call an invitation. We're going to invite people to respond to the message they've heard. This isn't something just for church family. This isn't something for just people who are members. This is for anyone and everyone who hears the Word of God proclaimed and has something on their heart. The Lord has spoken to them. Maybe today the Lord's made it very clear that you need Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have not received and accepted Him. You can't point to a day, a time, a place when you've settled your sin problem, and today you must handle that because the Lord's speaking to your heart, saying, it's time. Deal with it. You're going to perish without me as your Lord. Don't trust in what you can do any longer. Trust in what I've already done. And in a moment when that music plays, I want to encourage you to step out of your seat and make your way right to the front and see me right here. And I'll have someone take a Bible and show you very quickly, just from the Word of God, what you already know, that you just must call upon the name of the Lord. And if you come wanting Him in your life, you simply need to call on Him and He'll save you and forgive you. It's that simple.